Okay, turn to 2 Kings 12. 2 Kings 12. For that matter, go ahead and turn to 2 Kings 12 and 2 Chronicles 24. Keep your finger in both those places all night. 2 Kings 12, 2 Chronicles 24. The story of Joash is what we were talking about, also called Jehoash. To make it easier tonight, I'm just going to call him Joash, so I'll have to add, add the extra syllable on, make it life easy on myself. If you recall from last week, and I know we're going through a lot of names, we're in the Old Testament, 2 Kings, there's a lot of names, right? A lot of Hebrew names, people's names we can't pronounce, people's names that we don't, we don't say this, we say Bob, right? Sorry, I always pick on Bob. We say Jimmy. <laughs> we don't say all these names, right? Uh, but if you recall from last week, Athaliah, the wicked queen, wicked uh, daughter of Ahab, went on a rampage after her son Ahaziah, the king had been killed by Jehu. That was God's, God's mission for Jehu to wipe out the house of Ahab. Ahaziah, king of Judah, was hanging out with uh, Joram, the, son, the king of Israel, and he got whacked. <laughs> he got killed because he was hanging out in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people. And so uh, Athaliah's son Ahaziah is killed. Well, she decides that she is going to get revenge, probably, wipe out the house of the line of David, okay? Um, her house, Ahab's house, is being wiped out. She's going to wipe out the line of David, and she wants to take the power as queen. She's going to get all the power for herself. So she decides to put to death all her grandchildren, which is unbelievable, right? And for all intents and purposes, the descendants of David would be wiped out, that being the case. The Lord had promised David that he would do what? He would always give him a lamp burning, right? A lamp burning in the, in, the, in the sense of his descendants would always rule on the throne. That lamp almost was extinguished um, by what Athaliah did. Uh, she failed, though, because the last minute, Jehosheba, a godly woman, the wife of Jehoiada, the high priest, kidnapped one of the children, one of the grandchildren. And she, uh, his name was Joash. And she hid him for six, six seven years, and, uh, and so uh, was able to rescue that child from certain death. Now, the husband of Jehosheba, as I said, was Jehoiada the high priest. We're going to run into him a lot in the story, Jehoiada the high priest. And uh, being a high priest, he was a man who, he truly was a godly man. He honored the Lord. He lived according to his word. This, is, this guy is very unusual in that he truly does live out everything. Not perfect, we're going to see that, but does live out the scriptures and has is, is greatly commended at the end of his life. Uh, Jehoiada saw to it that this seven-year-old boy, Joash, became the king of, of uh, Israel, or rather Judah. Uh, Joash's bi biological father had died. And so Jehoiada, the high priest, becomes the adopted father of Joash. He becomes the godly influence in his life. That's what you have to understand. Jehoiada becomes the godly influence in the life of Joash. Now, as you read these two accounts, the account of the life of Joash, in 2 Kings 12, also 2 Chronicles 24, you can see that it is divided into two phases. His life is divided into two phases. Both of these phases bear a relationship in one way or another to the godly leadership, to godly leadership, rather. In the first place, in the first phase of his life, we're going to deal with the influence of godly leadership. That's the first phase of his life, the influence of godly leadership. And the second phase of his life has to do with the absence of godly leadership. The absence of godly leadership. So let's consider, first of all, the influence of godly leadership. 
In 2 Kings chapter 12, verses 1 to 16, the, the influence of godly leadership. Look at verse, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 to 3 to get us started. In the seventh year of Jehu, Jehoash, Joash, same guy, called by different, two different names, became king, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Zibiah Beersheba. Jehoash did right in the sight of the Lord all his days in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. Only the high priests were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Now verse 2 gives us the clue. Verse 2 is very important. It gives us the clue to the two phases of life in Joash. We're happy to, to discover that Joash, it says, did what was right in the sight of the Lord. We're happy to discover that fact. Don't you get tired of reading about the king says a certain king did evil in the sight of the Lord? And you're like, oh no, not this guy. He's a bad guy. You like to read about the good guys, right? People that do right inside of the Lord. And here we get that. But upon closer examination, verse 2, there's a subtle message contained in this verse. Look at verse 2 again. Joash did right in the sight of the Lord all his days in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. He did right as long as Jehoiada the priest was there to instruct him. He did right, okay? But what about when Jehoiada wasn't there to instruct him? We're going to find the answer to that question tonight. Now, before we move on, there are two issues that give us cause for concern. First of all, the high places of worship are still tolerated. Look at verse 3. Only the high places were not taken away. People still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Now, every once in a while, you come across this phrase. High places were... Places of worship out in the countryside somewhere, usually elevated, uh, just anywhere, could be anywhere. They set up their own places of worship. It did not mean always that people were worship, worshiping idols. They usually were worshiping idols. Obviously, that's wrong. But they could have been worshiping the Lord. That's also the case at times. Uh, but they're just doing out on their own somewhere. But the problem was this. Those high places were not, they weren't supposed to exist. They were supposed to get rid of those high places. Um, there was a place of, of centralized worship in Jerusalem called the temple, and they should have been worshiping there. High places were not under the supervision of priests or Levites. They couldn't supervise that worship out in the middle of the country somewhere. They supervised it in the temple. It, became, it could become a place where everybody did what was right in their own eyes, kind of like a lot of churches today, right? You just worship however you feel, do whatever you want. You know, many churches today don't care about the pattern set down in the New Testament for worship, could care less about what it says. As you can see, they kind of take this high place mentality, right, uh, and do whatever they feel like doing. So this is a red flag, but it's not what the story's about. just want to point this out to you. Secondly, there's another cause for concern, that's polygamy. Now, we're, gonna, we're not going to go back and forth. We'll go later on to 2 Chronicles 24, but 2 Chronicles 24, by the way, when you get a chance... Read, sit down and read 2 Kings 12 and 2 Chronicles 24. 2 Chronicles 24, 3 says Jehoiada took two wives for Joash. He made sure this guy had two wives, okay? That's what it says. Um, nobody's perfect. <laughs> as, good as, as good and godly as Jehoiada was as a priest, and he truly was, we're going to see that, uh, he had some Mormon tendencies. Like, maybe he'll get you two wives. He wasn't a Mormon. That wasn't existing back then. But maybe he got two wives thinking, well, you know, his wife, the Davidic line almost got wiped out. We better have more descendants here. I don't know what he did. Nevertheless, he 
did the wrong thing. Uh, Deuteronomy 17, 17, does anybody remember that? We've talked about Deuteronomy 17 many times in relationship to the kings of Israel. Deuteronomy 17, 17 says of the king, he shall not do what? Multiply wives for himself, or else his heart will turn away. Didn't that happen to Solomon? Many wives cause his heart to turn away. Well, and Joash isn't doing this on his own. Jehoiada is guiding him in this, so Jehoiada had to have known this. He knew the scriptures, by the way. We'll see that. He knew the word. But in spite of all this, in spite of these two causes for concern, we're going to discover that Jehoiada, nevertheless, was truly a godly influence in those days of apostasy. I mean, extreme apostasy taking place. For anybody to appear out of nowhere to be godly at all, it's kind of a miracle then. But you can see that even truly godly leaders can make errors in judgment. They can, that's why they need your prayers. People in leadership, spiritual leadership, are not perfect. They can make errors in judgment. So pray for them, right? Now, those, those, the, though these two uh, are areas are cause for concern, nevertheless, we cannot overlook that the good that Joash does under the leadership, the godly leadership of Jehoiada. Due to Jehoiada's influence, Joash becomes concerned for the house of the Lord and for the word of the Lord. Those two things. Those two thoughts are intermingled throughout the chapter here, so I'm not going to give you an exact outline of that. We're just going to follow the passage. Look at verses 4 and 5. Then Jehoash, Joash said to the priest, All the money of the sacred things which is brought into the house of the Lord and current money, both the money of each man's assessment and all the money which any man's, prompt, prompt, any man's heart prompts him to bring into the house of the Lord, let the priest take it for themselves, each from his acquaintance, and they shall repair the damages of the house wherever any damage may be found. Now Solomon's temple had been, been built years earlier, and time takes its toll on buildings, and buildings need to be kept up, they need to be repaired periodically. Temple is no exception. Plus, Second Chronicles 24, our, our parallel passage, verse 7 says this, the sons of the wicked Athaliah, the wicked queen, had broken into the house of the Lord and even used the holy things of the house of the Lord for the Baals. So no telling what kind of damage those guys did. So at any rate, the temple is in need of repairs. Joash recognizes the need. He sees the need. He decides to do something about it. He knows the temple, by the way. His first seven years of his life were spent hiding out in the temple, some temple part of the temple complex. As the king, he is becoming increasingly familiar with the temple, and all that it entails, he becomes burdened about his appearance. He sees, you know, you walk into a building and you say, man, this needs repair, right? We need to do this, we need to do that. Maybe the roof leaked, maybe the windows need a replacing, if there were windows, I don't remember. A lot of things, he sees the damages that are done, and so he sees the need, he decides to do something about it. Now, I tell you one thing, it's more than I can say for a lot of Christians. You know, some Christians never even recognize any needs. They don't, they don't recognize it. And they seem to be in some kind of a la-la land when it comes to church. We don't see any needs at all. They're hidden from us. Either that or they don't want to be involved in those needs, the physical needs of the church, like cleaning, the material needs of the church, the spiritual needs of the church. You know, I think some people would rather remain ignorant of these things lest they feel compelled to be involved. And, and then there's some Christians who see the needs. Oh, they're good at seeing the needs. You know, we have a need here. It needs to be taken care of. How about somebody take care of this need? Have we ever had that happen? So they want others to meet the needs. They have no intentions of getting involved themselves, but somebody's got to take care of it. So they wait on others. And when things don't get done, they wonder, why didn't something get done here? And then, thank God, there are those who recognize needs, and they do their part to volunteer in the body of Christ. Now, 
Joash saw the need. He, he went to the temple several times. He saw the damages. Uh, he saw the condition of the building. He realized that repair needs, repairs needed to be done. And he knew that this was going to be costly. It's going to cost money to do that. And he knew where he could get the money. The source was in the word of God. Now, verse 4 says a lot about the relationship of, of Joash to the word of God. He, Joash clearly knows the word of God based on verse 4. We know that because in verse 4, he speaks of the money. Look at that. The money of the sacred things which is brought into the house of the Lord. Now, that, there's more to this, these statements than meets the eye. That involved three types of giving. This verse, talking about three types of giving, if you looked into it. Number one, there's a census for male Israelites in Exodus 30 that, and we haven't got time to go into a lot of this, that demand that males give an offering to the Lord. And then in Leviticus 27, there's payment of personal vows. And then there are voluntary offerings, according to Leviticus 22. All of these things are taught in the Old Testament regarding the sacred money and, uh, and how some of this is supposed to be funneled into the temple. Jo Joash knows this information. He's not ignorant of what the scriptures say. He, know it. He, know, he knows it. He knows these details. Do you remember when he was about to be crowned king in, in 2 Kings chapter 11? What did Jehoiada give him? He gave him the testimony, right? He gave him the, te the testimony is some portion at least some portion of the, of the law of Moses. It's part of the word of God. And based on chapter 12, we are able to deduce that Josh, Joash was taught these scriptures. How would he know this information? As you go through this, you're going to see the Second Chronicles 24. How does he know this? He knows this because he's been taught the word of God. Because Jehoiada had been his spiritual men, his mentor. Isn't that what a godly leader does for someone he's trying to influence? Uh, with, the, with the word of God, with, with, towards the Lord. He influences them in the word of God. You know, the, the person who is the godly leader, and this could be a man or, or a woman dealing with other women or children or whatever, that person wants to point them to the Word of God. He wants them to know what the Scripture says. You know, I'm not here to share my, my opinions with you, by the way. I'm here to share the Word of God with you, right? That's what we're to do here. I want you to know the Scriptures. I want you to go to the Scriptures when you're confronted with issues in your life. So does Mike. I want you to rely on the Scriptures. Uh, for all your spiritual needs, I want you to rely on the God of the scriptures. You know, and I guess if, if nothing else is done, when you're mentoring people, when you're influencing people, when you're discipling people, if nothing else is done, if you accomplish one thing only, you, they learn from you to treasure the word of God, then God is glorified. God's glorified by that. Look at verse 6. But it came about in the 23rd year of King Jehoiada, the priest had not repaired the damages of the house. Then King Jehoash called for Jehoiada the priest, for the other priests and said to them, Why do you not repair the damages of the house? Now therefore take no more money from your acquaintances, but pay it for the damages of the house. So the priest agreed that they would take no money from the people, nor repair the damages of the house. So Joash commissions the priests to take charge of this operation. See to it that, you know, the repairs are done. I want you guys to get going on this thing. See to it that the repairs are done. The instructions in 2 Chronicles 24 are more explicit. The priests and Levites are to go out to the various cities of Judah, and they're, go out, and they're to go out and collect money uh, to repair the temple. And this is to happen annually. And they are to expedite the matter. You know, get going on this thing. Don't dilly-dally around. Get, get going on the matter. But the religious leaders did, did dilly-dally around. They didn't get going on it. They didn't get the job done. Second Chronicles 24.5 says, But the Levites did not act quickly. They did not act quickly. Now, we're not told in what year of his reign Joash 
uh, gives this order, this command to repair the temple. We're only told that in the 23rd year of his reign, the work had not yet been done. So we're given the impression in verse 6, these priests and Levites have ample time, ample opportunity to repair the temple, plenty of time to do it, but they don't get it done. And Joash in 2 Chronicles 24.5 says to Jehoiada and the other priests, he says, why have you not, listen to this statement, 2 Chronicles 24.5, why have you not required the Levites to bring in from Judah and from Jerusalem the levy fixed by Moses? In other words, what the scripture says. The levy fixed by Moses, the servant of the Lord, on the congregation of Israel for the tent of testimony, or for the temple in this case. Why haven't you done it? In other words, Joash is asking Jehoiada, why haven't you obeyed the word of God? You know this is what it says. You know this is what I told you to do. You know we have to repair the temple. Why haven't you done it? So now the godly leader, Jehoiada, is being rebuked by a student. The student has learned the word of God. He knows it. Now we can tell from the harmony of 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles that whatever reason, whatever the reason was, the priests and the Levites were negligent to carry out this command. They certainly don't feel any urgency to carry out the command. I don't know why. It doesn't say why. They, I don't believe they misused the funds, by the way. You know, it's always fascinating to me, I've said this before, that believers can be so urgent about things, about everything under the sun they can be urgent about, except for one thing, the word of God, the work of God. We're the word of God. We don't seem to get overly exercised about that, right? That's not, you know, when it comes to God and his word, that's kind of secondary a lot of times. We have more pressing needs than that. You know, I love the statement by Matthew Henry. What a great statement. He says this, church work is usually slow work. Church work is usually slow work, but it is a pity that churchmen, people that go to church, of all men, should be slow at it. Why are we so slow in carrying out God's? Why are we so, there's no urgency, no, no compulsion to do this. Sometimes it seems like the work of the church is slowed, slowed down to a crawl, almost as if we're at a snail's pace. We don't sense the urgency. These guys didn't sense the urgency for whatever reason. Look at verse 9. Jehoiada the priest took a chest and bored a hole in its lid, and he put it beside the altar on the right side as one comes into the house of the Lord. And the priest who guarded that threshold put, it all, put in it all the money which was brought into the house of the Lord. <clears throat> when they saw that there was much money in the, in the chest, the king's scribe and the high priest came up and tied it in bags and counted the money which was found in the house of the Lord. They gave the money which was weighed out into the hands of those who did the work who had the oversight of the house of the Lord, and they paid it out to the carpenters and the builders who worked on the house of the Lord and to the masons, to the stonecutters, and for buying timber and hewn stone to repair the damage to the house of the Lord, and for all that was laid out to the house to repair it. But there was not enough made, there was not made for the house of the Lord silver cups, snuffers, bowls, trumpets, any vessels of gold, or vessels of silver from the money which was brought into the house of the Lord. For they gave that to those who did the work, and with it they repaired the house of the Lord. Moreover, they did not require any accounting from the men into whose hand they gave the money to pay to those who did the work, for they dealt faithfully. The money from the guilt offerings and the money from the sin offerings was not brought into the house of the Lord. It was for the priest. So, to make a long story short, plan A is at work. I told you guys to go get the money, like the scripture says, get this taken care of. You didn't do it. So, let's go to plan B. On this plan, the priests are no longer in charge of supervising the operation. Obviously, they couldn't get the job done. Okay, done with you. <laughs> We're going on other, other plans here. Instead, Joash says, let's make, a, let's make an offering box. And uh, let's uh, put a hole on top. Does this remind us of anything? Put a hole on top, put money in. 
and uh, we're going to put it next to the altar. And according to 2 Chronicles 24, a proclamation is made to the people to bring the money to the temple. We won't go to you to collect money. That didn't work, or we didn't get it done. You bring it to us. You bring it to the temple, and the plan works. People come to the temple. They give the money to the priest. The priest deposit it in the, in the money box. And uh, by the way, for those of you who are not aware of this, our church has a box just like that, probably based on this passage of Scripture. Very scriptural in all we do here. It's right back there on the wall. It says offerings right above it. People asked us for months, for years when we first got here, for year, literally for years, hey, how do you give an offering around here anyway? I said, Sandy, put an offering, put a sign above that box of offerings. Nobody even knows what to do here. You say, why don't you, give a, why don't you pass the plate here? Well, we thought about that. We talked about it. Not against that, but we just felt it was more private, more private giving that way. That's why we did it. Um, either way, or in, even another way, however you do it, everybody should give to the, to the cause of Christ, right? But when the collection box was full, was full here in this chapter, the royal secretary and the high priest would collect the money. Second Chronicles adds that the people rejoiced to be able to do this, to be able to give to this work. They didn't give grudgingly or of necessity. God loves a cheerful giver, right? They did it that way. They did it with the right attitude. And then the priest distributed the money to the workers so they could purchase the necessary items for repair. They didn't have to worry about whether the money was going to be properly spent or not. They didn't have to worry about whether the construction workers were going to cheat them or not. Verse 15 says the work crew was made up of trustworthy individuals. They were honest. They did their work honestly. Now, all believers can learn from these guys. By the way, our, our employers at work should be able to trust us with any assignment we're giving. They give you an assignment. You should do it as a believer. You should do it as a testimony to Christ. Uh, and he should know that because you name the name of Christ, you're going to do the job properly. That's a testimony to God, by the way. It's testimony to God. Uh, and even if they ask us to handle money, company money or property, we should do that, keep it above board because we're believers, right? We have an unseen supervisor. He watches over all we do. We should seek to please him. And so these workers did that. And they made the repairs to the building first. And then they made... They didn't make the utensils that needed to be replaced at first, but later on, according to 2 Chronicles 24, when all the money was in, they'd done all the repairs. Then they did, they spent money on the, on the utensils and they repaired those as well. And with all this money going to the repair of the temple, the priests are not forgotten. Verse 16 says they were taken care of as well. All right, we've seen all this. So what? What's the point of verses 1 to 16? Well, the influence of godly leadership cannot be underestimated. That's the point. You cannot underestimate the influence of godly leadership. Where would Josh, Joash have been without godly leadership? He would have been left to his own. A child left to himself brings his mother to shame, right? Proverbs says. been left to himself. Due to the influence of Jehoiada, Josh, Joash had an understanding of the word of God. And he had a concern for the house of God. Now, I don't know what person or persons in your life that you have an influence over. But never think you're wasting your time by influencing people with the Lord, with the gospel. You have an opportunity to influence people for, the, for Christ's sake. It's a tremendous opportunity. You know, you, you can make a huge impact on, the, on their life. It may be a child. Maybe you're rearing children. You should rear them for the Lord. You have a tremendous built-in discipleship program in your own home. I had a guy tell me one time, the greatest disciples they'll ever have are your children. I said, that's right. They are. You have that opportunity in your, in your own home. Have the opportunity to give them biblical direction. You need to seize that opportunity and take advantage of it. And it may be a co-worker you're influencing, or a, person, a sister, a brother, a relative, a friend, somebody. It must be somebody 
you can influence for the gospel. You need to take that seriously. Well, I wish I could say the story ends here. It would be very happy. We'd, be, we'd go home and we'd say, well, at least things worked out good, right? It doesn't end there, though. Look at verse 17, chapter 12. And we now go from the influence of godly leadership to the absence of godly leadership. The absence of godly leadership. Verse 17. Then Hazael, king of Aram, went up and fought against Gath and captured it. And Hazael set his face to go up to Jerusalem. Jehoash, king of Judah, took up all the sacred things that Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Azariah, his Ahaziah, his fathers, kings of Judah, had dedicated and his own sacred things and all the gold that was found among the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house. And he sent them to Hazael, king of Aram. Then he went away from Jerusalem. Now the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? His servants arose and made a conspiracy and struck down Joash at the house of Milo as he was going down to Silla. For Jezekar, the son of Shimeath, and Jehozabad, the son of Shomer, his servants, struck him and he died, and they buried him with his fathers in the city of David. And Amaziah, his son, became king in his place. I have a question. What happened? Everything was going great, right? There was the influence of Jehoiada, uh, godly influence. They're building the temple, repairing it. Everything's being done. They're serving the Lord, it looks like. Everything's great. And now we have Hazael coming in, overrunning Israel. We have Joash murdered, cold-blooded murder. Why? Well, turn with me to 2 Chronicles 24. Go to 2 Chronicles 24. Look at verse 15. Second <clears throat> Chronicles 24, verse 15. This is after the events of verse 16 of, the, of 2 Kings 12. 2 Chronicles 24, 15. Now when Jehoiada reached a ripe old age, he died. He was 130 years old at his death. They buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done well in Israel and to God and his house. All right, let's start with the testimony the scriptures give of Jehoiada. He lives to an old age. He lives to be 130, and that's unusual for this time period. That was back in the day people did that, but right now, not so, not so much, right? It's kind of generally speaking, it's a sign of God's blessing. I'm going to give you a long life. He's buried among the kings. Notice that. He's buried among... He's not a king. He's a priest. And yet, he's given this great honor. To, bury, to be buried among the kings is a great honor, reserved only for kings, not priests. And yet, as a priest, this guy is so honored by God and by the nation, he's buried among the kings. Why? Because it says he had done well. This is a great verse. Look at verse 16. He did well in three areas. <clears throat> First of all, he did well in Israel, it says. He's a benefit to the nation. He's a benefit to his community. Godly influences are always a benefit to society, whether society recognizes that or not. Always a benefit. How, how can they help it be? People who love the Lord want to do the right thing, right? They want to be a blessing in society. They want to be productive members of society. They want to be honest. They want to be a spiritual blessing to people. The ungodly are not so. They're, 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 they're accursed. They, they are concerned about themselves. They don't care about anybody else. They promote their own cause. They're selfish. They're petty. But not, not the godly. They are the salt of the earth. They bring the light of the gospel to a dark place. And so, godly Jehoiada was a blessing to Israel. And then it says he did well t t toward God. Literally, he did well with God is what it says. He did well with God. What a unique statement. Think about that. He did well with God. You don't read this statement. I don't think anywhere else in the Bible, maybe. 
We would never say it like that. It's a great statement. He loved God. He served God. He uh, influenced others for God. He walked with God. His life was occupied by God and the things of God. This statement is not talking about self-achievement. We know that God initiates the relationship and causes people to grow in these kind of things. It's just This text here is just assessing what happened in the life of Jehoiada. His life was all about God. He did well with God. How about you? Is your life well? Are you doing well with the Lord? Do you walk with him? Think about that. Are you doing well with the Lord? Do you walk with him? Do you love him? Or have you caused a rift in, in your relationship with him because of sin? The Lord wants us to do well with him. Thirdly, he dealt with, it says he did well with his house. How did he do that? Well, he married a God-fearing woman. First of all, he married a person that loved the Lord, Jehosheba. Married her. And just as he was a good and godly influence on Joash, the adopted son, you might say, he's a good and godly influence on his own family. You could say, based on this, he's a good husband, he's a good father. To get this commendation from Scripture, what a testimony he's given right here. Verse 16, he did well in Israel and to God and his house. And he's buried with the kings. What a great tribute. But now Jehoiada has died. He's died. What happens to Joash in the absence of godly leadership? Look at verse 17. But after the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came and bowed down to the king. And the king listened to them. They abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers. They served the Asherim, the female fertility goddess, and the idols. So wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this their guilt. Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord. Though they testified against them, they would not listen. We have a story, a case here where the cat's away, the mice will play, right? Now that that godly influence is out of the way, we can show who we really are. The officials, officials who served under Joash and served under uh, while Jehoiada was alive, they come to the king and they bow down and they grovel at his feet and they compliment him and they all these things and they and they, and they and yet they want their way. They want their way. When Jehoiada had the upper hand in the ear of the people, people listened to him. They were godly. But now these wolves in sheep clothing come to the king and they persuade him to abandon the Lord. Hey, look. We put up with all that godly leadership all this time. Now look, let's get back to who we really are. Let's go after idols. And they do. The king listens to them. They, that, that shows me they were never committed to the Lord. Never committed to him. They were sk- still committed to the Jeroboams of that society. And the Athaliahs and the Ahaziahs and, 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 and the Jehus. Never got that out of their system. They put, it off, they put it on hold for several years, but now they're back to their old idolatrous ways. They're back to who they really are. That's a troubling enough, but look at the words, they abandoned the house of the Lord. It's just hard to believe. Considering what Joash did, considering that, that this is the major accomplishment of his life, repairing the temple, he took such care to see that it was repaired. He took care to oversee the work. He, took, he himself took ownership of the project, especially when the priest fell down on the job. He rebuked Jehoiada for slacking off during the project. But for now, for him to, to turn his back on the temple... And, and, and to go into idolatry is just utterly shocking. After you've read what we've read in these two chapters. Utterly shocking. In spite of that, the Lord is good. It says he sends prophets to call them back to himself. But they refuse to listen. Joash listened to the ungodly counsel, the counsel of the ungodly, and 
did what they said, but he refuses to listen to the counsel of the godly. And he won't do it. Look at verse 20. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah. It's going higher every time to a worse state. The Spirit of God came on Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, and he stood above the people and he said to them, Thus God has said, here's a prophet, the prophet's son, Jehoiada's son, Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord and do not prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has also forsaken you. So they conspired against him. And at the command of the king, they stoned him to death in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash, the king, did not remember the kindness which his father Jehoiada had shown him. But he murdered his son. And as he died, Zechariah said, May the Lord see and avenge. Well, they sent, God sent prophets, right, to go tell this guy, Hey, what are you doing? You had Jehoiada as your mentor all these years, and now you've turned to idolatry. Come back to the Lord. And Joash wouldn't listen. So they bring out the big guns. They bring out Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada. This is the son of Jehoiada. Not the same Zechariah Jesus mentioned in Matthew 23, the son of Berechiah. This is the son of Jehoiada. Under the power of the Spirit, Zechariah calls them out. You guys are abandoning God. He's going to abandon you. And verse 21 says, for all his efforts, they stoned him to death. Like Stephen. And the temple that was previously undefiled under the reign of Joash is now defiled by the murder of the prophet on temple grounds. And guess who gets the blame in verse 21, 22? It's Joash that gets the blame for doing this. How sad verse 22 is. Verse 22, just hard to fathom. Look at verse 22 again. Joash did not remember the, king, the kindness which Jehoiada had shown him. Think about this. Think of the kindness that he'd been shown, Joash. Joash was rescued from certain death as a child. He was protected for seven years from the queen coming and killing him. She didn't know he was there. He was made king by Jehoiada. He is raised by Jehoiada. He is taught the word of God by Jehoiada. He's treated with kindness by Jehoiada. The word kindness is, Kesset is, it has the ideas of love and faithfulness and kindness. Same word used of God and how he treats us. Joash gets all this great treatment from Jehoiada. Jehoiada pours out his life in Joash. And yet for all that, Joash turns around and spits on Jehoiada and his son. The dying words of Zechariah are, may the Lord see and avenge. And we know that vengeance belongs to who? Belongs to the Lord, right? And Zechariah's prayer is answered in two ways. First of all, it's answered regarding the officials of Joash. Look at verse 23. Now it happened at the turn of the year that the army of the Aramaeans, here they are again, came up against him, and they came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the officials of the people from among the people and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus. Indeed, the army of the Aramaeans came with a small number of men, yet the Lord delivered a very great army into their hands. Because they had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers, thus they executed judgment on Joash. This is the officials. These are the guys who advised the king after the death of Jehoiada to turn away from God and forsake the Lord, follow idols. They're destroyed by, guess who? Hazael. He's back from Aram, overrunning Israel. And even though the army's small, the Lord's behind their defeat. That's what it said the Lord did this. And according to 2 Kings 12, 18, the reason that Hazael finally left him alone was because Joash bribed him with stuff from the temple, gifts from the temple of all things. This is just... Everything's going backwards now from what, what, what it was. And so Zechariah's prayer is answered regarding the officials of Joash. They're killed. And then his, his prayer is answered regarding Joash himself. Look at verse 25. 
when they had departed from him, <clears throat> for they left him very sick, Aramites left Joash very sick, his own servants conspired against him because of the blood of the son of Jehoiada the priest and murdered him on his bed. So he died and they buried him in the cities of David. They did not bury him in the tombs of the kings. Now these are those who conspired against him. Zabad, the son of Shimeath, the Ammonitess, and Jehazabad, the son of Shimerith, the Moabites. Some servants of jo Joash who knew what evil had, been, had taken place slay Joash on his bed. See the names of the two guys, by the way? Carried out the murder. Verse 26, Zabad and Jehazabad. I call them the bad brothers. Because they took care of business, right? And Zechariah's prayer is answered. And interestingly enough, those guys that killed Joash are from Ammonite and Moabite blood. He says the Lord did see and the Lord did avenge. The prayer, and, he, and, he, and he answered the prayer of Zechariah. Think about it. Joash restored the house of the Lord. And then he forsook the house of the Lord. What an unbelievable story. Now let me give you a few final thoughts concerning Joash. A few final thoughts of application. First of all, I want everybody to listen to this too, by the way. Whatever you're doing, listen to what I'm saying right now, okay? Number one, you can be under the godliest of influences and yet never become godly yourself. You can, become, you can be under the godliest of influences yet and yet never become godly yourself. That was the case with Joash. Think about this. Under the direct influence of the godliest leader in years in Israel, and yet he himself never became a true follower of Yahweh, never became that. Oh, he listened as a child. He listened as a child to what Jehoiada said. Maybe he was read Bible stories? I don't know. As a child. But when Jehoiada was gone, he's easily persuaded to reject all that guidance. Just overnight. Rejects everything. All I can conclude is that he was never truly godly to begin with. He had a form of godliness, but he denied the power thereof. You know, you can hear the greatest of preaching. You can hear the greatest of preachers for years. You can listen to them wherever you want to, and yet never claim Christ as your own. It's possible for that to happen. For years, you can listen to preaching and hear the word of God. You can hear it in your own home taught to you, and yet reject it outright. You can pretend to be a Christian. You can dress the part. You can act the part. You can talk the part. You can make everybody else think you're a Christian and yet not be one. You can be as far away from the kingdom of God as the Pharisees were. You can appear outwardly to people to be something, but inwardly you can be full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Better check your own heart lest you be another Joash. It's very serious what I'm saying here. Number two. When you are called to repentance, take that matter to heart. When you're called to repentance, as Joash was, take the matter to heart. Don't be like Joash, who when the prophets preached, and when they preached repentance, and when he preached against his sin, he refused to listen. He refused to listen, and he even persecuted the son of Jehoiada. God's calling you to repentance. Be quick to repent. Number three, be thankful for the godly influences in your life. Be thankful for the godly influences in your life. And Joash, we see the height of ingratitude. Do we not see this? The height of ingratitude. May it never be so with us. Be thankful for whomever the Lord has put in your life to influence you towards God and towards the Christ. Maybe your parents. It may be another relative. It may be a friend. Uh, whoever it is, the Lord put them there to bring you to himself and to help you grow in grace. He, the Lord put those people in your life to help you, to influence you with the truth. Remember them with kindness. Thank the Lord for what they've done. 
And fourth and finally, a spiritual, keep this in mind, a spiritual mentor exists for the purpose of pointing you to the Lord. A spiritual mentor exists for the purpose of pointing you to the Lord. I said pointing you to the Lord. A spiritual mentor is not the Lord. Some people seem to think that. They run to the spiritual mentor for everything all the time. He's not the Lord. The idea is for you not to depend upon him as you would the Lord. There must come a time when, in your life, when you're growing in grace, that you begin to depend upon the God of the spiritual mentor rather than the spiritual mentor himself. You must come to that place called spiritual growth. doesn't mean you can never consult that person again. doesn't mean you can't be their friend or come to them with problems or questions. just means you have to come to the place where your total dependence is not on that person, but is on the Lord. I think these are some of the things we can learn tonight from the life of Joash. Examine your heart tonight, whether you be in the faith. Do that. Make your calling and election sure. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight again. We pray that you will help us to take heed to uh, this example tonight, Lord, realizing that it's a very serious one. We pray we, we won't... Uh, be those who just hear the word and don't do anything about it. We pray tonight that people would take action in their own lives to be hearers and doers of the word, to follow you, Lord, to be true disciples, to be true uh, people, people who truly influence others with your truth.